0: to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who had strong feelings, good or bad, about Zoe Deschanel when they were in high school.
1: I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Tuping Productions, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're
0: going to explore
1: the good, the bad,
0: and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are?
1: Today we are talking about 2009's 500 Days of Summer. I love the Smiths. Sorry. I said I love the Smiths. You've... You have great taste in like, Smith. Yeah.
0: Holy. This is a story of boy meets girl.
1: They made a statue of us. A... The boy,
0: Tom Hansen, grew up believing that he'd never truly be happy until the day
1: he met the one. The girl, Summer Finn, did not share this belief. You should know up front this is not a love story. I think we should stop seeing each other. Just like that. Just like that. Start from
0: the beginning and tell us what happened. Hi, Audrey. Hi. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> Audrey's beefing with me right now because I pushed off the recording time by an hour because I was dealing with a crisis.
1: Listen, I I don't know. Maybe we're at the point in our podcasting career where we don't have to pretend <laughs> anymore. <laughs> I don't have to hide my annoyance anymore. It's okay. You can let it rip. They can take it. You can take it, listener at home. Just some drama. It's really, really, really hot out every day. It's hot everywhere. And I started running three days ago. It's funny because we just talked about our running history and then... Yes. I guess you were re-inspired.
0: We don't even have our window unit in yet because it hasn't been bad enough for long enough yet. So... We're vibing. Um, Okay, well, now that we have thoroughly
1: discussed the weather, (laughs) um, what is the hot take of the week? Okay, so, again, this one comes from Discord, which you should, again, join if you haven't. And it comes from Sarah. And she asks, I'm just going to say, out of the films that we have covered, if you could completely recast one of them, Which one would you and why? Mine is, I think, I'm pretty sure I said something along those lines for Sydney White. To me, Sarah Paxton is wrong. Like, even Amanda is, is like, wrong. Like, the nerds are wrong. Like, it's just. Yeah. The only person I thought was really right was, like, the the Taylor Swift (laughs) lookalike. Like, she was
0: right. So this recasting concept is not in the context of a reboot. It's in the context of the time that it was made.
1: Yeah. Like, or, like, which movie do you think is just, like, miscast? That's basically what the question is. I will say
0: that even though it was probably really appropriate for the time, I would have been interested to see a recast of Charlie's Angels.
1: Why? Thoughts?
0: (laughs) Um, I just feel like there could have been a more dynamic group. And I also sort of thought that Cameron Diaz was a weird choice for the role that she played personally. Mm Mm-hmm. But I also don't have a ton of context for that movie, so maybe just...
1: It's your opinion, whatever you want. <laughs> and clearly I'm really passionate about this <laughs> opinion,
0: so... I think
1: I think another one would be a Cinderella story. Hillary's not giving what she was supposed to give. Chad no. even, not really. Like, no. I... I think they were both attractive blondes, and I think they look like siblings, and it's kind of weird. <laughs> also,
0: I think that The Click or Brats could be recast in some ways.
1: Yeah. I <laughs> Especially saw, The Click. I saw a really funny TikTok the other day of uh, somebody making fun of the Bratz movie because... They were like zooming in on Chloe in scenes where there were the, all four of them were there, and how she just literally was like not, she was like not paying <laughs> attention. Like the actress was like not there fully. And it's so
0: funny. <laughs> I'm going to take us into the facts. 500 Days of Summer was released on July 17th, 2009, and was rated PG 13. It was directed by Mark Webb, who, like feature film wise, He's best known for this movie, the 2012 uh, The Amazing Spider-Man, Gifted, and the upcoming 2023 Snow White remake. (laughs) Starring Rachel Ziegler. But really, really, really interestingly, he was like the go-to music video director for like the early 2000s, like alt-some pop scene type thing. So he's done music videos for The All-American Rejects, Avril Lavigne, Maroon 5, Miley Cyrus, Fergie, Evanescence, Yellow Car, Jesse McCartney, Switchfoot, and a lot of my chemical romance. And very notably to me, the Ghost of You music video, which is the one that's like the World War II reenactment, like the Normandy Beach Invasion uh, reenactment. That video goes so hard. You should watch it if you haven't seen it. But... The fact that he's a music video director really shows itself in this movie. And we'll get back to that. The screenplay was written by Scott Neustadler and Michael H. Weber. (laughs) And they are a writing duo who wrote the screenplays for, well, they're best known for this screenplay, but also The Fault in Our Stars, The Disaster Artist, The Spectacular Now, Paper Towns, and The Pink Panther 2, LOL. And uh, this was like their first screenplay that really got I think it was their first credit on IMDb for both of them. Synopsis.
1: Tom, greeting card writer and hopeless romantic, is caught completely off guard when his girlfriend, Summer, suddenly dumps him. He reflects on their 500 days together to try to figure out where their love affair went sour, and in doing so, Tom rediscovers his true passions in life. (laughs) It's generous,
0: but it's not wrong. It's not wrong. I will, uh, I'm sure you'll be happy to hear that with this episode, I began integrating synopses and reviews from Letterboxd instead of just Rotten Tomatoes and wherever the hell else. Yay. Yes. And I saw your point. It, it is better, kind of. The Rotten Tomatoes audience reviews are like a very special place on the internet, though, I
1: have to say. Taglines. We have three. I feel like we haven't had real taglines in a while, so yeah, this is good. The first one is Boy Meets Girl, Boy Falls in Love girl doesn't (laughs) i like i kind of like that one same um second one is this is not a love story this is a story about love no i mean yeah sure (laughs) it's It's true though no it's true i just don't like it as a tagline as much as the first one (laughs) you're like send it back (laughs) (laughs) And the third one is it was almost like falling in love that one bothers me because the
0: well-known jazz standard is almost like being in love So why wouldn't you just go there like that just is weird to me. But okay, let's get into this cast. Mercifully, this movie doesn't have a ton of characters, which is great. So first of all, of course, we have Zoe Deschanel as Summer. This is her most impactful film role. Um, She's really well known for this movie. But she also, of course, was on New Girl for a million years as the main character. She was also in Elf, Tin Man, which is the weird, like, TV series, limited series about Wizard of Oz. We've talked about it before. She plays the Dorothy stand-in. She was also the teacher in Bridge to Terabithia, which I did not remember, but she's in it. And she's also in Almost Famous, which I thought was interesting. But to me, beyond any of her credits, she is the textbook definition and the poster girl for the concept of twee. And I don't know if you know what that is, but we will get into it when we get to the cultural context section. But when you Google American twee 2009, you get a picture of her playing a ukulele on SNL. And that's really all you need to know. Next, we have Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Tom, our hard quotes, protagonist. He is best known for his role in Inception, Looper, Don, John, and Adam. To me, he feels very Men of Freaks and Geeks adjacent. Like he wasn't on Freaks and Geeks, but I feel like he very easily could have been. Joseph Gordon-Levitt was also on Third Rock from the Sun, Very hilariously, though, he's in a lot of shit, but weirdly, he was also the wizard in the Todrick Hall production straight out of Oz, which I did not
1: know. (laughs) Oh, I knew that. Listen, some of us have a dark past. (laughs) Oh, I know. Some of us have a dark past, but... Anybody who did listen to the Straight Outta Oz album or whatever, it's
0: genuinely good. Well, I was about to say, there are two songs on that album that I know well, and they're so good.
1: Yeah. Like, I went to, because my friend from high school loved him and really wanted to go to the live show, so we went to the live show in Columbus. (laughs) And... I mean, this is before the shit really hit the fan for Todrick as a person, so... It, okay,
0: is it not true that Todrick didn't really do anything? Did I he have, actually do anything I have bad? literally
1: no clue what to believe. I don't know. Because it's just a situation of... You know, when like there's a catalyst for cancellation and then people from all across the Internet collect every negative thing he's ever done or said, and then they treat it as though this is one big, one big cancellation reason, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what happened with him. Oh yeah! Oh my god! I totally forgot. I literally went, to, <laughs> I literally went to Kinky Boots when he was in it and got a picture with him afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like he would have been good in that. He was. He was good yeah. in it.
0: I mean, yeah. he's talented. Next up, we have Joffrey Arend as Mackenzie. I hate this character. He's best known for this movie, Garden State, Super Troopers, and The Ringer. Recently, he's been on the shows Physical and Goliath. Next up, we have Chloe Grace Moretz as Rachel. I don't know how I know who she is, but I do know who she is. But she was in the movies Kick-Ass, Let Me In, If I Stay, Inside Out. And she was Carrie in the Carrie remake from not that long ago. Mm -hmm. She has a really distinct vibe to me as a human being, but... Okay, that's her. And then last but not least, we have Matthew Gray Grubler as Paul. He was in 323 episodes of Criminal Minds as a series regular, I guess. And he was also in RV and the Alvin and the Chipmunks animated movie and this movie. And those are the movies he's best known for. Audrey, do you want to read us this budget
1: situation? All right. So an estimated $7,500,000 budget opening weekend made... oof, 834,501. But the worldwide gross is 60,800,444. So yeah, what I am getting from that is that this this was not an event movie. It was a word of mouth movie where they were like, we know once people see it and they feel the emotion, they will tell their friends and then it We'll get there. I can't wait
0: to talk about, like, the cultural impact of this movie because it was the beating heart of my pocket of people at the time. Critic and audience opinions. The critic score for 500 Days of Summer on Rotten Tomatoes was 86%, with a critic consensus as follows. A clever, offbeat romantic comedy, 500 Days of Summer is refreshingly honest and utterly charming. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and that is just foreshadowing to what we will have to get into, which is just the different perspectives you can bring to your watching of this movie. I looked up Roger Ebert's review and honestly, he didn't say anything too groundbreaking or anything that wasn't included in the following blurbs, but there was one thing that he said that was really funny. In the end of his review, he said, no, the movie's poster insists the title is, quote, parentheses, 500 days of summer led by Variety. Every single film critic whose review I could find has simply ignored that punctuation. Good for them. And so I looked up a couple other little blurbs from the summer that it came out. Um, We had one person who said, one critic who said, more of an anti-rom-com, something many women and perhaps even more men will be grateful for. The next critic says, the movie suffers at times from a surfeit of adorableness in its two leads, as well as clumsy voiceover narration and a general sense that the subsidiary characters have about as much edge as plush toys. Next person said, this sweetly engaging trifle goes down down as easy as cold lemonade on a hot afternoon and the last critic that i selected said scratch any cynic and you'll find a romantic scratch this movie's surface and you'll find a typically tepid ode to pitter pattering hearts dressed up in thrift store chic and faux edginess okay would you like to uh take us into this audience moment
1: i'm just i'm still stuck on a typically tepid ode to pitter pattering hearts What are they talking about? What they're trying to say is like,
0: for some reason, they're using like the entire thesaurus to simply say it's a rom-com. It's a really watered down basic rom-com that is using its aesthetic to make itself like unique.
1: Yeah, Which yeah. it kind of is. Okay, Sue, so it, it is a movie. Like, okay, like, <laughs> what do you want them to wear old yeah. navy? Like, what? Okay. <laughs> the audience score is an 84% on Rotten Tomatoes and, and an average of 3.7 stars on Letterboxd. Those are, like, very... This will be interesting from here on out because I know there will be times where the Letterboxd score and the Rotten Tomatoes score are like very different. But this is encouraging because that like it's a 3.7 out of 5 on Letterboxd and an 84 out of 100. So that's about the same. Some audience opinions. Um, someone who gave it five stars said, somehow Tom gets even more annoying and Summer gets even more girl boss by every rewatch. <laughs> <laughs> um, four stars. Somebody said, Tom sucks, but not going to lie, this movie still bangs. <laughs> Somebody who, said, who gave it three stars said, Autumn, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> That's how I felt. That's exactly how I reacted. <laughs> I got
0: some tweets from recent times that I thought were funny. One person said, if you're on dating apps looking for straight men to have a relationship with, ask him what he thinks about Summer Finn from 500 Days of Summer. Another person said, 500 Days of Summer is great because it reminds and makes me feel those early relationships and thoughts. Five years since the last time I felt those. And if all goes well, I'll never experience them again. (laughs) Tragic and beautiful. (laughs) And then we have three more next one I just watched 500 days of summer and her back to back I feel like I have rabies
1: <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, wait that's like a really specific double feature yeah,
0: that's a that's a DVD two pack from Sam's Club 100% that's good next one is 500 days of summer is an absolute shit show why was I fucked up enough to like this 10 years ago in WTF <laughs> And then last but not least should I watch 500 days of summer and rip My eyeballs out after. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. man. I know. People have strong opinions, but that's why I'm excited Mm -hmm. to talk about it. I told you guys we would come back to the twee thing. I just want to talk about what it is a little bit because I feel like it's a... They weren't calling it twee back then, but that is what this aesthetic was. And, like, what... Basically, it's, like, to me... Like 2009, 2010, 2011, there was like the emos and the hipsters. And this was more in the hipster direction, obviously, but there was a big overlap. It was a Venn diagram. And okay, so there was this TikTok resurgence of Twee. But I found this website, it's aesthetics.fandom.com, and there's like a wiki section, and Twee was on there. So here's just a list of things that can evoke Twee. First of all, Zoe D. Chanel was the top. Public figure listed, but we have Zoe Deschanel, Wes Anderson, Greta Gerwig, Michael Sarah, cardigans, overalls, blazers, yellow raincoats, berets, bowler hats, fedoras, knit hats with pom poms, box pleated skirts, circle skirts, a handlebar mustache, cruiser bike, um, and then the music of the time was a big part of it and obviously this soundtrack is like the perfect embodiment of what the music was, but this is how they described it on this wiki page. Typically underproduced with acoustic instruments and imperfect vocals, there was a strong emphasis on music that is performed live, with the recordings often including these imperfections. One of the most common stereotypes of twee is the ukulele girl and guitar guy, where an amateur, typically a teen or young adult, strums the instrument in a public space and sings a simple mellow song for leisure (laughs) some songs can take on a campfire song-esque tone with duets clapping and talking that is not part of the song some examples of songs are ho hey by the lumineers white winter (laughs) hymnal by fleet foxes and northern downpour by panic at the disco and also home by edward sharp and the magnetic zeros in my opinion
1: white winter hymnal is important (laughs) i mean it's a good song (laughs) Isn't it the one that's like,
0: I was following. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Hunter and I always sing that. (laughs) (laughs) It's fun to just pretend like you know all the parts and then just like start singing them.
0: And me and my best friend in high school were heavily on this shit. But I'm going to come back to that. When did we first watch this movie and what do we remember about it? What are our
1: impressions of it from the past? I don't think I actually watched this movie until maybe like twenty fifteen. Like, wow. ma- like late. It's possible I saw it before that, but I wasn't like thinking yet. When I, if I did, I was not processing film yet. Um, right. But what I do remember is that literally from two thousand eight, I have been the number one Regina Spector fan. Okay,
0: you're right, but also I have to. Do you remember how we got into her? Yeah,
1: from the news.
0: Like, there yeah, was it was segment. It was CBS Sunday morning. Yeah. And our parents were like, you got to watch this. You're going to love it. And then we watched it. And they, like, bought Begin to Hope. And we smacked that shit on our iPods. And it yeah. was the deluxe version. And we never looked back, basically. yeah.
1: And it's, like, to this day, she's about to release a new album. Like, she's going on tour and stuff. Like, I want to <laughs> see her. Her music is so kind of odd for, like, children to listen to. Um, Yes. It's appropriate, but it's heavy in metaphors. So it's like, I didn't know what I was, I didn't really know what I was saying. I just liked (laughs) what it sounded like. And so at some point, I just distinctly remember, like, freshman and sophomore year of college her um, songs on the 500 Days of Summer soundtrack would come up on my Spotify. And so Mm -hmm. through that, I started listening to other songs on the soundtrack. Yeah. And so, and I kind of forgot that I did that. And then when I was rewatching the movie, I was like, oh my God, I feel like I'm crying walking through Washington Square Park right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the soundtrack, there are
0: no duds. I listened to that soundtrack so much back in the day. First of all, the YouTube video of Joseph Gordon Levitt and Zoe Deschanel playing that fucking version of What Are You Doing New Year's Eve when she's on the ukulele and he's on the guitar. Here comes a question in advance What are you doing? As I texted Audrey, if you survived the peak of that video's popularity, you do deserve the veterans discount everywhere you go.
1: I remember it, it coming is, up on Tumblr all the time. Like it was unavoidable. It was ceaseless. It was ceaseless. Yeah. It was
0: horrible. So my best friend in high school, who may or may not hear this at some point. If she does, it's totally fine. Um, she was pale and had black hair that was straight and bangs. And bangs. <laughs> and very clearly, like, like, Zoe Deschanel was the blueprint for her in like a really, really, really deep way. And like, she learned how to make circle skirts. She wore sweaters. She listened to all the right music. Like, she had very specific hats, like shit like that. I think maybe a part of me was like. Jealous that I couldn't fully pull it off as well as she did, maybe. Um, we also both came from the same school of like emo converted into hipster, yeah, totally. Things between
1: 2007 and 2012 ish, 2013, that transformation had occurred, yeah, of like emo to twee,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. But for us, it was definitely like. Ninth grade was the transition period, and by 10th grade, we had basically arrived. Yeah. But I just hated So so much. Like, just the cutesiness and the, like, I mean, it's it's just Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Like, that's literally it.
1: It is. And... We should discuss that topic further in the second half because I really need to break it down. I really need to... <laughs> yeah. I, I, There's so much going on packed into this one term and we, we yeah. have to get into it because I fear that there is internalized misogyny yeah. in there. <laughs> yes, definitely.
0: But the last thing I'll say about this is that um, the movie just is so deeply in the same bucket as like perks of being a wallflower to me yeah. and other movies of that genre just like it's it's
1: juno perks of being a wallflower 500 yeah. days of summer however they're getting progressively watered down like i feel yes. like, <laughs> yeah
0: I personally can't wait for us to, like, have our little, like, tell us your thoughts on this movie or, like, your experiences with this movie sticker on our story, because I'm sure there will be lots of funny and, like, painful experiences shared. But if you haven't seen this movie in a long time, it's on Amazon Prime. I'm pretty sure it's on Hulu and Paramount Mm -hmm. Plus also. So go check it out. It's a tight one and a half hours. And uh, get ready to discuss... All right, everyone, we are back, and it is time for us to unpack our experience while watching 500
1: Days of Summer. Where should we begin? My notes are just so not specific because it's about this idea And how it's been perceived in culture. That is interesting to me.
0: Okay, so I'm going to start with worse. And this movie just comes out of the gate really strong with the little title card that's like, this movie isn't based on anyone, whatever. And then it's like, except Jenny Beckman, bitch, like right out the gate, typed on there. I was like, okay. Like that struck me as weird this time, but like... I guess, as we'll get to later, that is the movie trying to tell you straight out what it's going to be like. But also, it is highly questionable how self-aware this movie is or isn't, in my opinion, especially because of the time that it was made.
1: Yeah, literally the entire movie, I am asking myself, how smart is this movie, like, yeah, how, like because that it changes how you judge it. It, it You like can't know yeah. how bad to think it is or how good to think it is because my brain yeah. is just like, whoa, like I, I don't know. I don't know if this is like almost satire. It's all like in some ways you could almost view it as like a satire of how men view women. But OK, but in what world? are you going to get a movie
0: that's written by two men and directed by a man that's going to get there that's what i'm saying it's
1: like it it feels like they're almost accidentally on to something like they're like and yeah. I'm just like yeah 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 exactly you guys are so close but the fact that this is like a mainstream movie and you're all these dudes who wrote it like i just don't know how smart you are it's almost like an accident yeah.
0: <laughs> like like the depth that could be perceived as an accident. And it's impossible to know. It's like impossible to pin down, which is what makes this like kind of a hard discussion.
1: I might be able to deduce it based off of like the the videos and the things that I will find with like the creators. I'll probably be able to tell like how smart they
0: are. Well, I also just feel like the like male entitlement thing was like which obviously Tom has, was way more accepted back then because it was before even being an incel was a thing that was known widely. And it was before me too. It was before just like the huge cultural shift we've been through over the past like five to eight years, like since I was in high school basically. I just feel like tonally this fits with how like, heterosexual relations were back in the day, back in 2009. Also, okay, another really good example, and again, this isn't even necessarily bad because I feel like to be like, he's a misogynist and that's bad. It's like, well, fucking yeah. obviously. <laughs> but like there's certain lines that are so opaque that you're like, what are they even trying to say? For example, when Tom is listing all the reasons why he loves Summer, he's like, I love her freckles. I love her laugh. I love the whatever, like all these physical things. And then I love how she makes me feel. Mm -hmm. None of it is about her actual personality or like her character at all. Yeah. Which like, Um, like character as a person is on purpose. I know that that's on purpose. I think I agree, but also it's like that level of on-purposeness is not
1: that palpable throughout the rest of it. I well, that's again, that's why I was flip-flopping in my mind, like how smart are they? Because they could be yeah. really smart and just so happened to be able to get this film made in this way that broadcasted mm-hmm. it to the mainstream and they were able to like kind of reflect like reflect a mindset. Back to society, if you will, um, or like to men, because you have to assume that a lot of women probably brought their significant others to this movie. And I can only imagine like what that dynamic would be like sitting there in the theater Mm -hmm. Like as hetero, like as a hetero couple watching this movie, I can see that it would be like really ripe for misinterpretation. It was such a paragon of the edgy, trendy
0: aesthetic at the time that a lot of young people saw it too. Yeah. Like teenagers. And it was rated PG-13. So it would be like, ooh, kind of edgy. Like we're going to go see this movie. And I think because the movie takes its like, visual style so seriously and, like, the casting is so, like, hitting the nail on the head that it's, like, hard to interpret it, especially as a teenager who doesn't, like, know any better.
1: hmm You know? Like, I'm almost more interested in the effect that this movie would have on girls. Totally. Because- well, because to me, to me, so this was the movie that, like,
0: set her, like this, this established D. Chanel as like the blueprint of like the, like the indie dream girl in my mind. And I remember watching this movie and being like, she's actually that perfect and beautiful and unattainable and interesting and cultured and whatever, even though it's like pretty clear that, it's kind of like he's building her up to be that way. But I feel like it's like you want to be like her when you're like a 15-year-old, 14-year-old watching this movie because you like want boys to like you and you want to be like cool and artsy Mm -hmm. and whatever. And to me, it's like the impact is like you want to break Joseph Gordon-Levitt's heart and wear a floral skirt at the same time.
1: And also being flawed is a part of the manic pixie dream girl blueprint. Yes, it is. Obviously, the flaws can't go too
0: far. Okay, that made me think of two things. And one of them is that the problems also cannot be anything external because she still has to be hot and skinny and able-bodied and probably white. And the other thing is, to me, what you just said about the dream girl needing to be flawed is like a really good, this was like, the predecessor to like the Fleabag era concept, yeah, like it's a very yes. clear line, <laughs>
1: like flawed in a flawed in an attractive way, or in it's like somehow like the difference.
0: The difference between like the Zoe Deschanel and like the Phoebe Waller Bridge is that like Phoebe Waller Bridge's whole thing is like controlling the narrative and self awareness, whereas with Zoe Deschanel it was like everyone's projections onto her, yeah. like she didn't have a ton of agency. That's interesting. Yeah to think
1: about I can't help. every time we talk about something like this my brain can't help but go to Lana Del Rey but we
0: don't have to go
1: there I mean no one
0: ever wants to like, no one ever wants to name it but she's, she's there. Just there she's just
1: standing there she's, she's just, just ready there. to be discussed <laughs> she's just standing in the corner of the room yeah she's just like yeah. money is the anthem <laughs> it's so true though it's so true. I was just listening to Born to Die before recording this, so it was even more. Literally, Born to Die and
0: Paradise are perfect. Yeah. I'm sad that she like cut Cola from her set list. Not that she ever changes it because of the Harvey Weinstein reference, because I love that song.
1: If I were her, I would like maybe change the lyric or like be like, fuck you. <laughs>
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> Have we ever talked about our flop Lana concert experience on the podcast?
1: Okay. Y- we had Here's to. Here's the thing, like, I still had a good time. Like, I don't care. Kid- I know, like, you and Hunter. You had never seen her no, before. No, I had. <laughs> I fully had.
0: <laughs> really?
1: <laughs> I was disappointed. I liked the ambiance of it, and I didn't mind the whole thing. It was fine. It was It was fine to me. Because before I saw her in the Prudential Center in New Jersey. Right. So it was like a better, it was like an upgrade from that. But the actual concert, the Lust for Life concert, um, was better than that. I will say when this one
0: song came on, I don't remember which one it was, but no, it was, please, please, please let me get what I want. I had this vivid flashbulb memory to being on my eighth grade New York trip. On a like charter bus holding this like stupid knockoff bag I got in Chinatown because everyone was like, You had to get like your knockoff bags in Chinatown, you have to haggle and all this bullshit. And so I had this bag on the bus and it smelled like fish. And I had tried to like drown it out with some kind of like body spray, and it smelled like hell. It smelled so bad. And I was listening to this song on my iPod. Yeah. And in that moment we were I infinite. remember
1: that. I actually remember the fish bag. It smells so bad. <laughs> yeah, but like I didn't I never even I used like, it. I think I like smelled it and then I was like that's what New York smells like. <laughs> I mean, and you weren't wrong. <laughs> In that area, yeah, that is what New York smells like. In that section where they're pointing out the qualitative things that he likes about her, her appearance, her weight. Her literal, literal weight. They that put, wasn't a different part, though. Oh, that wasn't okay. a different part. They put 121 pounds and they called it average weight. I know. And I was like, I wonder. How self-aware are they exactly, with that? That's another question. If they are actually smart, that is accurate to how an asshole guy like that thinks. Yeah. Like they are stupid and they do think that way. And so, yeah. I'm just like, I'm sorry that this is in this film, but also <laughs> uh uh-huh. it's not wrong. Yeah. And so I f- always feel torn in situations like that. Well, that's the whole problem with this entire movie is that it's like, what are they? Do they know what they're doing or do they not? And also a bunch of teenagers are watching this. Here's the other reason why you get really confused is in in that way. And ultimately kind of think that the movie's not that smart is because Tom is the protagonist and they want you to feel so bad for him. They want you to feel like the entire section where basically he's been broken up with and he's like out alone in the world and it like turns into a drawing. The script wants you to feel bad for him. And I think that's where you start getting into the territory of like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Do these guys also, really think that this is a reason to feel that? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel
0: like, okay, so you know how everyone's always like, the expectations versus reality sequence is the peak yeah. of cinema. <laughs> So I actually feel kind of conflicted about that part because I think it's a it's a very music video-y concept, obviously. And honestly, I love all those parts. Yeah, I love those parts. Yeah, I think it's fun. I think it matches totally really well with, like, the story and the whole, like, approach. But obviously we don't like Tom. But really, I kind of feel like that chunk of the movie is the part that makes the most sense to me from his perspective like Mm -hmm. they run into each other at the wedding she dances with him a lot she like very flirtily invites him to her party and then like is engaged the wedding ring is the best gag of the whole movie by far yeah like that part got me this time like i forgot that it happened
1: you know what else is is hard to reckon with in this movie (laughs) is like at those (laughs) points and by the end where, like, I'm, like, as a woman, I just don't want to look at her choices in this movie and be, like, why is she doing that? Like, I I want yeah. so badly not to judge her for anything because I'm, like, trying to be a feminist and it's... <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to be, like, a blanket, like, a blanket feminist. I'm just, like, no,
0: she's yes. fine. She, she's You're fine. You're unflinchingly not yeah. questioning her decisions, yeah.
1: Yeah, but, like her dancing with him while being engaged her not telling him things that she could have told him to be clear that like they don't have a future also her sprinkling in bisexuality um that was don't weak. even uh, that's a whole other <laughs> that's a whole other topic there's nothing like, of course though yeah
0: that's just that's that's the stereotype is it's like one time in college it's literally just the stereotype yeah that's
1: the stereotype yeah. um and then and then her marrying a man Obviously, I can't help but feel like she's kind of the worst
0: person. <laughs> no, she is. Okay, this is what I wrote. This is what I wrote about this whole thing, is that this is another layer of how self-aware are they? Because when it comes down to it, she's just a fuck girl. Yeah. That's it. And one of my favorite parts that like demonstrates that is, well, first of all, okay, no, no, no. There's this whole moment where um when she invites Tom over to her house for the first time, and the voiceover is like Tom felt it in his soul. <laughs> the wall was coming down like that. And it's like, <laughs> he decided. Why, why am I so accurate? Because <laughs> I really listened to the voice of that and was like, <laughs> thinking about it hard. But anyway, um, so he decides the wall's coming down because they're laying in her bed and she's like telling him just random shit about her dreams. And then she's yeah. like... I've never told anyone that before. But first of all, <laughs> what she's saying is not that deep. And no. second of all, if a, if you, literally, I feel like I've had experiences before with shitty men where like you will like sleep with them or whatever. And then after the fact, they'll be like telling you some random shit and be like, I've never told anyone that before. But that doesn't mean that they like you that much. I'm just saying that the way she acts overall in general yeah. is the way that, I've had
1: interactions with straight guys. And it's difficult because you don't want this to be an, like, ultimately a woman-hating movie. Like, you don't want this. It should be like this man just. It is. But it it is, right? It is. It's like you don't yes. want it to be that, but it kind of is that. You said that you hate the ending
0: with the autumn reveal. Personally, I love it.
1: No, like, I didn't, I don't hate that that's the ending. I just, I just, that her name was Autumn, I guess.
0: I mean, <laughs> but to me, it's, it's so perfect fine. because. It's
1: in the style, like, I get it.
0: <laughs> well, like, Summer is already such a name that you can, like, romanticize, like, 500 yeah. Days of Summer. Like, great movie title, like, her name is Summer, like, ooh, Summer, like, love, whatever. Yeah. And then, for Autumn, basically, it's like, by naming her Autumn, it's like, oh, he didn't learn his lesson, like you can tell right. by the way he reacted, like, he didn't learn his lesson. It's very and it's gonna happen all over again. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. And like the thing is, I remember so clearly when I was like in high school, being like, oh, like, ah, like, oh my god, new love, like with the, with that animation. Yeah. And now when I'm watching it, I'm like. Yikes, <laughs> like with the sentiment, like and it's all starting over can mean two different things so clearly, just based on the viewer, you know, mm-hmm. like it's communicating it all starts over, but it doesn't say whether that's like a good or bad,
1: yeah. No, like wh- what's crazy about this movie is that you can view it from two different um perspectives and see it an yeah. entirely. And it's, I don't even mean like female perspective, male perspective. It's not as yeah like binary as that. The part where they show you that scene where they're in the record store and she's like not yes. feeling it. Like she's like yes. clearly, she like doesn't want to be with him in that moment. She wants to go home or whatever. I was like, okay, they are showing us this scene as basically a reality check for... Yeah. How she actually acts with him versus just like what the things that he's projecting on her. But like, th- again, like that is a snippet of time in the scheme of a relationship. Like, everybody has bitchy moments. Like, everybody. Yeah. So I'm like, that That doesn't, like, damn the whole relationship. Yeah. But they're, they're using it as the kind of a moment of, like, he's she's actually not that into him. Why
0: does she even kiss him in the first place? Like, she has all the information she needs to know that he is going to be a pain in the ass. I think she's just bored and she's new to the city. Right. That occurred to me, too. But, like,
1: maybe she's a narcissist also. Uh, what if we view it as two narcissists. (laughs) Yes. Because these are not two people that are coming... Into the relationship with like honesty and like a willingness to like they're not there for a a real reason. I I don't know. Oh yeah, this whole thing is based on a misreading of the graduate and like seeing some shit as a child. I'm like literally stop. Stop. Also, I forgot about man. Wake up.
0: Also, in the beginning when he's like. (laughs) No, I'm self-conscious about my impression of the guy. No, do it. He's like, (laughs) after the disintegration of her parents' marriage, like all she (laughs) could enjoy was the feeling of cutting off her hair and feeling nothing like that. I'm like, that is just so of the time. Yeah. And also it's very Lana and it's also very Phoebe
1: Waller-Bridge. I've seen people in real life who actually kind of resemble traits of that stereotype. Yes, and I I, I haven't see what you're seen, I have not seen anybody who resem, who like really reminds me of like whoever the fuck from a movie who's just like a mean girl.
0: Well, this is where it gets kind of complicated because I feel like if we were in different circles, like socially, that there may be people that would model themselves after like a Regina George or a whoever in a more specific way but especially because we run in like artsy slash like girl boss adjacent circles that of course those people are going to be the ones that are like modeling unconsciously or consciously modeling their behavior after these types of women
1: yeah like the tumbler the tumbler high school days and like being depressed, yeah. like wanting to be depressed, like shit like that.
0: Mental illness being glamorized is only getting worse. Agreed, yeah. Like it started then and it's only been getting
1: worse. But yeah. back then there was a really <laughs> <laughs> like blatant aesthetic that was
0: that yeah. was
1: associated to it. Where now, I think it's more of a an aura maybe. <laughs>
0: It's the fleabag era person, I don't know, like, tweeting about all the medications you take. And I'm not saying that that is, like, you should be able to do that. Yeah. And, like, obviously we live for those people and those characters. Like, there's Mm -hmm. a reason why they're so popular. But it's just really interesting to trace the lineage of it. I just can't believe I ever watched this movie and did not immediately see that Tom was insane.
1: That just goes to show how brainwashed everybody is. Yeah. Like, it's we are totally born into this system where you just, like, automatically don't question. You just are not taught to, like, question men. I'm really interested
0: after this to look things up about the movie and see if there's any information that, like, illuminates this. I don't know what their intent was. And also, I gotta say, I wonder... How much of my and other people's distaste for her was based off of this character?
1: I think a lot of it. And of course, she plays into it and she continues the style in other roles. So then it becomes more associated with her as a person than it does the role. But I do think that this movie would cause a huge hate train for her like a huge hate train for her. It's so. it.
0: Well, because it also, it's like not many people really knew her before this movie. And especially like in Elf, she's blonde. Like it's not, she's not really clockable as the same person, but in between the two. And she's so like inextricably tied to this character. And as you said, she keeps carrying it forward. So kind of feel bad for her not really though but a little bit
1: no cuz she owns it like she like she owns the style to this day she's literally married to a property brother she's married to a property brother are <laughs> yeah. you serious yeah wow <laughs> she's a nepotism Dream big baby kids i didn't she know is? that hmm yeah. Personally, I enjoy that we could have a 40-minute conversation without notes because I yeah. I don't need to look at these, like, at all. Yeah. Well, also, too, it's like, uh,
0: I, this is not the kind of movie where I want to sit there and, like, nitpick stupid things, like, because yeah. there's just too much to talk about on, like, a conceptual level. Like, we don't need to be bringing up Jerry's House of Sports to get through this one. Yeah.
1: You know? <laughs> yeah, we don't need to get into the weeds with With craft elements or anything, because generally speaking, it's a really well-made film. Like there's a lot of great craft elements. I love when you can tell that every choice was made for a reason to like fit into a whole, a whole visual style. And it does do that really well. So there's lots of good things to praise in that, in that category. But just like ideologically, this movie leaves me stressed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it leaves me In a tizzy and confused.
1: And and it kind of gives me La La Land slash the last five years vibes. I don't know if you are familiar I actually have not seen The Last Five Years. Yeah, it it's similar in structure and idea to La La Land and The Last Five Years. Like if if those two movies had a baby, I feel like it's this movie. That sounds like a nightmare, to be honest with you. To me, awful. (laughs) (laughs) To me? Yeah, it's Alaska.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. For me. (laughs) We're referencing the podcast Race Chaser, um, which is Alaska and Willem talking about each episode of Jag Race after it airs. And it's so. It's great. Wait, speaking of good
0: podcasts, um, we have a really good collaboration coming up.
1: We do. It's another podcast. Should we just reveal it? So you may or may not have seen them recently on your TikTok for you page talking about Panera girls in high school. Um, But they are Joe and Andrew of Good Children podcast. And they grew up together. They met in a hard rock cafe at like (laughs) a very young age. We're talking Mm -hmm. like five years old. Each episode, they talk about just, like, a different element of their childhood together. Yeah. And it's, it's so good. And I feel like I've known them my entire life.
0: Yeah. Well, because they are, they are the boys that we were friends with in high school and yeah. middle school and are still friends with now.
1: Yes. And, like, and they, they <laughs> dropped an episode today and Andrew mentioned twerking in front of an Applebee's <laughs> and that just, like, in, like, probably... 2013 or something yeah and that is absolutely where we come from also i was listening to their first
0: episode today and when they talked about um crossing to the other side of the mall hallway when you pass hot topic because you get too scared to go in
1: definitely a
0: vibe too
1: Totally. Um, Hannah was drawn to it, though. Hannah was drawn to it. I was I was scared yeah. of that shit. I mean, eventually I would go <laughs> in. I was like, OK, I, if Hannah can shop there, I can at least go in. Yes. And it was a moment.
0: But the people that were cashiers at Hot Topic were scary.
1: Yeah, they were scary. But now it's but like now, now that you know who they are, like there's so nice, I'm sure. They're also our people. Yeah, they're also our 100%. people. 100%. That episode is going to blow everything <laughs> out of the water. <laughs> I don't even know
0: how we're going to, like, rain that shit to like, rain, rain it in.
1: Me either.
0: <laughs> like, I have no idea. Again, join our Discord if you haven't yet. Let us know your thoughts on this movie when we put up our little story thing. If you... Had to endure multiple viewings of the Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Zoe additional cover of "What Are You Doing New Year's Eve?" I feel you, <laughs> and there is solidarity between us.
1: And it's like it's not their fault, you know. It's like we did this. It's society's fault that this happened. Like it's not their fault. They just wanted to make a little weird. They wanted to make a little cover and post a little it. quirky,
0: a little quirky video. I mean, playing the way that into t- the.
1: What do you think about the way she
0: sings though? It's it's just her, she's just a grating. She can just be a grating figure. Also, I think it's interesting that her band is called She and Him because it also just plays into the whole
1: thing, which reminds me of that one scene in Girls where it's Allison Williams and what's his face, who the the singing Charlie Desi? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they're having an argument and Allison and Marnie. Marnie is like, I tell everybody we're like she and him. And then he goes, what? He's like, babe, babe, we're nothing like she and him. And she's like, I don't understand how we have two completely different (laughs) visions of the band. We didn't. But okay, is it worthwhile, though? We didn't even say.
0: I think that it is too important of a stepping stone to where we are now to say don't watch it. Yeah, to say don't watch it. I think that you'll be able to enjoy this episode a lot more if you've watched it. I would say it's worthwhile to watch, but the jury's out on whether it was a worthwhile contribution to culture <laughs> yeah. because it just remains to be seen still yeah. kind of yeah
1: and like i don't think men needed that kind of ammunition like i, I just like seeing like a no. woman like a woman bringing her boyfriend or husband to that movie and then like that being the content that's like a nightmare that's a totally nightmare. well and also also i have to say that it set up the male
0: viewers to fail because it gives them this sense of entitlement and then they go out into the real world and it, like, works up until about 2015 and then they get, like, clobbered out of nowhere because of, I mean, obviously the world is, like, constructed for stray white men, but on top of that, with, like, media like this too, it's like, Mm -hmm. I thought I was being soft and sensitive like Smith's fan Tom in 500 Days of Summer, but actually you were being Mark or whatever your name is.
1: Also extreme last thing. We also didn't talk about the little sisters freaking role in this and how she's like weirdly put in as like a voice of reason as a child. Like, yeah. Oh my God.
0: I know. I wrote that down too. I was just like, this is kind of fun, but also really weird. (laughs) Really weird. We could just keep going down this rabbit hole basically forever. So please let us know your thoughts. We'll be back next
1: week with another <laughs>
0: banger for sure.
1: Yeah. And we're going to be together for probably yeah, the next hopefully. two. As long as I clear the
0: COVID uh, situation of my life right now, I will be in New York and then she'll be in Ohio. Ooh. Living it up. Ohio. Ooh. Okay. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover-cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at twopingpictures.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at sleepover cinema, and post a full video version of each episode on YouTube and Facebook every Thursday.
1: And if you like the show, if it brings back evocative memories of childhood or tweendom or babysitting, share an episode or two with a few friends. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited,
0: and engineered by us hannah and audrey leach sleepover cinema is mixed by sean rule hoffman and has theme music by josh perlman hall our executive producer is michael DeAloya.
1: leave us an itunes review telling us what movie you'd like to see us cover next or leave us one because you like us and it's good for the algorithm and we need it we'll chat again soon bye And Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.
0: This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.